0: If you have a Bible, and invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11 is where we'll be uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to uh, follow along. There is a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Um, and you can find uh, this particular reading on page 930 in the Pew Bible. We would invite you to join us there. Otherwise, you can look, us, look it up on your electronic device of choice. We would encourage you to join us that way as well. If you're with us this morning, if you're visiting with us or you haven't been with us, then you find us in the last uh, segment, as it were, of a series, an eight-week series where we have, that we've called All In. And what we've been looking at, what we've been examining together, is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, as it were, to be all in for Christ, to be a disciple, to be someone who is following after Him, whose life is designed and centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been examining together over these past days and weeks. Why would we do a series like that? Well, if you remember, if you were with us at the very beginning, which some of you were, which I'm thankful for, and you've, you've, you've made it all the way through. Here, let me remind you of a verse that comes from the book of Colossians. Let me remind you. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Colossae, and he says, this is what I'm about. He's, uh, he's, I'm proclaiming, I'm admonishing, I'm teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that I may be present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's why I'm laboring. We did have been working through this series in order that we as a church and that you as an individual may continue to grow in maturity in Christ, that on the day when Christ returns, we may be presented as mature mature. mature in him in our living and in our actions and in our lives and so we've been looking at what does it look like for us to be mature in Christ my desire is that our church may be fully mature in him what are the characteristics of a disciple of Jesus well we've been talking about them and let me just review them as we now find ourselves at the tail end A disciple is someone who maximizes their gifts, talents, and resources, all that they are, in order to multiply committed followers of Jesus Christ. Or a disciple is someone who makes disciples, a disciple who's growing in Jesus and is passing that along to others. Here are some characteristics that we believe are of a disciple. One is that they're worshiping that they're worshiping, that they have a life that is, that is a, a centered around God and centered around Christ, that all of life, not just when we gather together in this way, all of life is about bringing glory to God. Second is that they're learning. And the the, the primary way that we're learning is God has revealed himself in his word. And so we believe his word to be authoritative. We believe his word to be without error. And so therefore, his word is where we go in order that we continue to be learning about who God is as his spirit reveals himself to us in our lives. We're worshiping him. We're learning in him. We're praying to him. We're believing that the prayers of a righteous people are powerful and effective. And so we pray, we pray in dependence upon who God is. We pray uh, that knowing that this is not just some sort of fruitless exercise that we say into the air, but our prayers actually hit the ears of a living and active God who loves us and cares for us and is actively involved in our lives. And so we pray, we pray, we serve. Because the example of Christ, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And so therefore, we do not come to be those who are served, but rather, as those whose head is Christ, we have lives that are characterized by serving others, considering others better than ourselves, like Christ did. Fifthly, we're giving. We give. Because of the generosity that is in the gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So we too give of our resources, give of, of the money that God has given to us so that we can give for, for the cause and the advancement of the kingdom of, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sixth then is Sharing. That the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just for us, that there is something on, about the disciple that goes out and wants to gossip the gospel, to tell the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. And so we purposefully and intentionally are looking for ways to engage those who are curious about God or are far from God in order that they might be able to know the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. We're sharing the news of Jesus. A disciple, seventhly, is characterized by connection or Christian community. And that's where we were last week of engaging one another. We were not meant to experience God alone. We were to experience God in deep, rich community where we love one another and we bear up and bear with one another and we forgive one another in order that we might be able to know the love of Christ and share the love of Christ with one another. And finally, eighthly, is multiplying. Like sharing, we need, we recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just for us, but is to go out to others, that a part and parcel of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we're making new disciples. We're making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. That's a part of a couple weeks ago now, a couple of weekends ago, I had the opportunity to go spend some time with high school students from Erie, Pennsylvania. And the reason that I was with those students is because I was at the, it was at the invitation of their youth pastor. Um, he had a, a retreat and he asked if his old youth pastor, me that be me, right? His old youth pastor would be able to come and be the speaker for his retreat, for his students. And, and of course, I was thrilled to do that because I did about eight or eight and a half years of youth ministry back in the day. And so he was one of the students that came up through my youth ministry. And now he's a youth pastor in Erie, Pennsylvania, and he invited me to come. And so I went. And so when I arrived, some of his adult leaders said, oh, you're his old youth pastor. We thought you would be older. Uh, I said, well, the beard is helping out. I, I don't know, but no, I, I said, well, maybe former would be a better word. Um, and we had a great time, but it wasn't until that weekend that I actually realized the impact uh, that I was able to have or the way that God used me in his life. I didn't know. I mean, I knew he was in my group. I knew he, and I was thrilled, but the opportunity for me to watch him pastor these kids. And then there were students that stood up and told testimony about how God had used Pastor Mike in their lives to help show them Jesus. And he said, that's what I did for him. Because that's multiplying the cause of Jesus Christ. That's making disciples. And sometimes it's very intentional. And in this case, it was, but I didn't realize the full impact. And I wonder, who is it that has poured into your spiritual life? Can you name them? Can you name people that have purposefully and intentionally chose you to talk to Jesus about, with to talk to you about Jesus, to help you grow in Jesus, to help you follow after Jesus, to help you mature in Jesus? I mean, I can name a lot. I mean, I was starting with my parents, and then my youth pastor, and then my Christian education professor from Taylor University, and. Dave Brandolini and Jeff Mills and so many more. I could, go through, I could go on and on and on about the people that have intentionally and purposely poured into my life. And part of the reason that I'm here opening the scriptures for you today is directly related to the way that those people chose to multiply their faith in me and to show me Jesus. I could go on. These people did this because our Christian faith is not meant to be kept for ourselves. That our discipleship journey is meant to be multiplied. That we as a disciple means that we are to follow after Jesus and we are to bring someone along with us. It's, the, it's, it's multiplication. Our text that's before us, this is Paul. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He's talking to the church in Corinth. Let me just go chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at verse 31. He's at the end and it, over, it flows over into chapter 11, verse 1. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example, he says, as I follow Christ. Multiplication has to start here, by following Jesus. You say, well, that's pretty basic. But that's what Paul says. I am following the example of Christ. I'm following the example. Making disciples and multiplying of our faith requires that we continue on in the journey with Jesus. It means there's a perseverance of the faith, as it were. Because you you will make disciples of whatever it is that you follow. You make disciples of your sports teams. We make disciples of our favorite foods. We make disciples of the things that give our attention to. And we bring people along with us in the enjoyment or the despisement of the things that we're trying to disciple them in. And if we lose sight of Jesus, then we will fail to make Christian disciples. We will make a whole bunch of other disciples, but they won't be disciples of Jesus. The first and foremost thing he says, the apostle Paul says, is that I'm following after Jesus. I'm seeking to and motivated by the the driving force of my life is Jesus. And I'm bringing other people along with me that their lives may be also formed by Jesus and follow Jesus. One pastor and writer, Mark Dever, who pastors Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Capitol Hill says this. Ultimately, our toil and labor in making disciples he's referring to ultimately our toil and labor cannot root in our love for them, those who were discipling or their love for us. It must root in our love for Christ, his love for us and his love for them. We won't find the well we need in discipling somewhere deep inside of ourselves we must draw from a deeper, fuller, living well of grace and truth and love. Our love for those who we disciple and their love for us isn't enough. We need a deeper, richer, fuller well, and that has to come from a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. As we are drinking from and feeding from the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we will be fueled by, then we will be able to have the wisdom and the truth and the grace to be able to go and to make disciples, as we are called, to make disciples to go and multiply the gospel of Jesus. And here in our passage, Paul then is instructing them. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. But what does that look like? Verse 31. He says, do everything for the glory of God. So So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is what we saw Jesus do in his prayer in John 17. He's praying to the Father and he says, I have done, essentially, I've done everything you called me to do. I have made your glory known. I have made your glory known. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you've called me to do. And so therefore, those who are following the example of Christ in everything that we are to do are to follow or to give glory to God in everything, in all things. Even in the most mundane things of life, we are to give glory and honor to God in eating and in drinking. Whatever you do, you are to give glory to God. This week was um, my 15th wedding anniversary to my wife. Um, And so we decided to celebrate and we went out. And I'm not a huge steak eater. I'm a big carnivore. I'm I'm a meat eater, but I'm not always a steak eater. She's a steak eater. And so we did steak because, you know, it's our anniversary. Um... But but I'm going to tell you what. I had the best steak of my entire life this week. I mean, it was insane good. Like, it was, in, I mean, like, it was like barely, you barely cut that thing, and you put it in your mouth. Every single bite was just savory and good, and I felt weird. I, I'm telling you, it was this experience, because I'd be like, mmm, and I'd be chewing at me, mmm, and my wife's like, what, are you okay? I'm like, no, this is just so, and, and the amount of times that I went, mmm, when I was biting into this meat was ridiculous. Like, it would it was just unbelievable. And I just, th- in that moment, I'm like, I am so thankful to God for steak right now. Like, I I'm just am. And I hope, and I was, that, that give glory to God in all things that includes that steak, that includes, oh, it was so good. I'm just thinking about it right now. I was just replaying that <laughs> in my mind. So good. But in all things, in all things, we are to give glory to God. Even in the most mundane of tasks, we are to give glory to Him. In all things, so maybe we are helped by saying, "How how can this action that I'm involved in right now bring glory to God? How can I best glorify God in this situation? As I as I now am about to go into, what would God have me do here that I might bring glory to His name? In all things." We are to give glory to him. That's what Paul says. And then he goes on and he says, whatever you're doing, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. As you're going about doing all things for the glory of God, do not cause other people to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or Christians unbelieving Jews he, he has the whole of humanity covered that's what he's trying to do here whether they're unbelieving Jews whether they're unbelieving Greeks or Gentiles non-Jews which covers everybody else or whether they're Christians the church of god he says don't cause any of these to stumble to fall away from jesus to be to have the gospel the beauty of the gospel of jesus christ marred because of the way in which we live so In our living, in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes, we must be careful that our unbelieving friends and neighbors do not look down on Jesus. In our words, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our online posts, we must be sure that our unbelieving friends do not stumble and look down upon Jesus because of us. And we must be careful not to cause those who are our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ to look down upon Jesus because of us, to be embarrassed of the family as it were, because of our actions, our attitudes, because of our living. Paul says in verse 33, "'Even as I try to please everyone, in every way paul says that in my living i am trying to please everyone he's not a he doesn't mean he's a people pleaser that's not his point what he's trying to say is that he will go to any length in order to try to alleviate barriers for the cause of jesus He says that I, I'm not trying to be, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you you want to flip back maybe one page or two in your Bibles, this is what he says in verse 19. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So, what does he mean when he says that I'm trying to please everyone? Well, Paul says, This is what I mean. I already told you what I mean. This is what I mean that I will go to any possible person that I possibly can, and I will make myself available to them. I will show them grace in order that they might be able to see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, in order that they might be able to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will do whatever it takes, he says. Jesus was constantly going to the sinners and to the least and to the lonely and the lost of left and left out. He was called a friend of sinners. He was with sinners and tax collectors in their homes. He was teaching them. He was in their company. Because the gospel is for all people. You know that. You believe that. But the gospel is for all people. The gospel transcends race and Gender. It transcends earthly barriers. And in our living out of the gospel, we must think deeply about how our words and our actions and our attitudes will be received by those who look different than us and believe differently than us. When I hear this, well, we, we shouldn't cause other people to stumble, then we, I, I often hear it referred to morally, morally, Right? And that's right, and that's good, right? We, we need to make sure that we do these things in order, or don't do these things, because it may cause someone else to stumble. That's, I understand. That's, that's good. But there's so much more at stake. How do your thoughts, your attitudes, your action cause people of other races to stumble? How do your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes cause people of a different socioeconomic class to stumble and fail to see Jesus or to look down on Jesus whom we love? The message of Jesus who is for all people. Paul says, I'm not seeking this for my own good, but for the good of many so that they may be saved. See, isn't that what he says there? That's what he says. Why why is he doing this? He says, I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, he says. I'm not doing this for my own good. I'm doing it for others, so that they may be saved save, that they may see Jesus. Because he's following the example of Christ. Because Jesus, if Jesus didn't come to earth for his own benefit, Jesus didn't come to earth in order to gain something for himself. He had it all. He came for the good of many so that you and I might be able to know relationship with Christ. Philippians 2 says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul says, look, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for them. I'm giving up. I'm making myself a slave to Christ so that they might be able to experience Jesus, so that they might be able to know Jesus. I'm taking away every possible barrier I can possibly think of in order that people might be able to know Jesus because I want everything that I do to be for the very glory of God. He says, this is what I want. Paul says, I want to follow Jesus. And friends, I, I want to be very clear. I want to be very. I, want, I think we have an opportunity in our moment right now. Post election. That you and I, as white evangelicals, in case you didn't know that that's what the, the class we're in, that's the team we're on. Look around. We're white. In the name of our church, Maple Grove Evangelical Free Church. In case you didn't know we have an opportunity because according to exit polls, polls show that evangelicals turned out in large numbers in support of president-elect Donald Trump. Over 80% of white evangelical vote was in support of our future president. The day after the election in Maple Grove High School, we made the national news. Do you see that? You know why? because of vandalism in our high school that said whites only, hashtag white America, hashtag Trump train. My neighbors, my neighbors, they assume that I'm a part of the 80% because I lead a church that's a part of the 80% probably, right? I don't know where, where you all, how you all voted. I don't know. But they assume that of me and they're confused because they see our town making the news and they're confused and they're hurt and they're angry and we have an opportunity. You and I have an opportunity that God has given to us. And I want us to not miss this moment. And so let me just read to you from Ed Stetzer, who is a part of the Billy Graham organization. He's actually at Wheaton College and he's now working with the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College on off of Wheaton College campus. He wrote, he wrote an article and let me just read to you from him because I think he said it more succinctly than I could. And then I'll follow up with a couple of comments. Regardless of if we voted for Trump, his win sends a sweeping message across our land about the desire for change. We must be honest, that change doesn't exactly embrace those who are unlike what we may perceive as the norm. You are not paying, you are not paying attention if you don't think that his election has emboldened some of the worst parts of our society. We cannot deny the pain that has come from this election season. Our biblical mandate is to care for the marginalized, to walk alongside those who have been victims of prejudice and abuse, to embrace those who are different than us in background and belief. That is the way of Jesus compels us. People sometimes talk about sitting in the proverbial sackcloth and ashes as the prophets of old actually did. We see tears of lament and pain over the collective sin of a nation, a group of people. White evangelicals must stand with our brothers and sisters who feel betrayed after this election, no matter which way we voted. I'm not saying that every white evangelical, or even most of them, voted for Trump because of the the troubling things that he said. For many, it was in spite of what he has said. Trump voters are complex and I'm not putting them all into the same boat. And yes, many voted against Clinton rather than for Trump because they cared about the unborn, religious liberty, and more. But that does not mean that we don't have responsibility. We do, because we are followers of Jesus. It is inappropriate to judge the reason for a person's pain. It is also inappropriate to judge the reason for people's pain or to tell them how to process this election. Furthermore, if someone is hurting from the results of this election because they, feel, they felt marginalized by the campaign that ultimately won, we cannot draw from that conclusion that they don't care about other important issues that led them to vote differently. Politics are a part of a broken world and these issues are complex. We each do our the best we can to, take, to make the right decisions but we cannot make it a zero-sum game and fail to acknowledge the very real pain. Our lament, and in some cases, repentance, is critical in order for the church to heal. My grief and sympathy, spoken out loud, is necessary in order for me to affirm my brothers and sisters in Christ who heard. Many deeply committed minority believers are deeply offended. You can spend all the time telling hurting people that they're hurting for the wrong reason, but there's still people who are still hurting. Many deeply committed minority believers are deeply offended and believe that white evangelicals have thrown them under the Trump bus. Some will say, and it's fair to point out, that Trump won a higher percentage of people of color than other recent Republicans, however, Nobody can or should disagree that Trump's comments have alienated many, women, minorities, and more. And since white evangelicals propelled him to the presidency, they owe something to America, including minority evangelicals. I believe we have an opportunity to speak. We have an opportunity, regardless of how you voted. You have an opportunity to show the transcendent love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will require courage on your part. It will require humility on our part, but it is what we require in order for our church to heal and for the glory of Jesus Christ to be seen. I give you a couple of thoughts on where to start. If you, over the course of this election cycle, have made racist or unkind comments now may be a good time to apologize. And to go back to the people who heard you say those things and to ask for their forgiveness. Second, Thanksgiving's coming. You're gonna be with family, in case you didn't know. Chances are the election may come up. Don't allow racist or sexist language to be a part of your conversation. Don't laugh at the jokes. Stand with those who are marginalized, who are least and lonely and left out. Thirdly, ask God to give you a heart for the hurting and for the marginalized and the sinners and tax collectors of our day. I'm proud of the students of Maple Grove. I'm proud of the students of our church that attend Maple Grove. For on Thursday, there was... Uh, they, 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 they were reaching out in as best ways as they knew how to their, to their fellow students of color. And I'm proud of them for doing that. And I think that we owe it to our students to at least do the same. That they could look at the adults of their church and say, this is what we're doing. Can't we at least do the same as our students are seeking to do in their high schools? Can we not do the same in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and in our communities? Our church must lead because the name of Jesus Christ and the glory of the gospel is at stake. We must lead. And now is our time. This is the moment where God has placed us. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We're bringing people with us as we seek to follow after him. I've got a whole another third of a sermon that I'm not going to preach. (laughs) thanks Dan (laughs) because it's amazing stuff about the fact that you have, I, we need a plan in order for us to be able to multiply. You need a personal plan of who you're investing in. Who are the names of the people that you specifically, people that are far from God, people that are seeking God, people that are growing in God. Who are you investing in? Who is your plan? Who? How are you gonna make, you need a plan in order to be able to multiply. And we as a church are multiplying. We're planning to plant a church, as Pastor Jim had said at the beginning of our service. The reason is why, because the gospel must go forward and the most effective way is for us us as a healthy church to give birth to churches who will give birth to churches because guess what happens then they can do far more for the gospel of Jesus Christ than we could as one church when we're planting when we're as exponential in the way in which we multiply the cause of Jesus Christ that's why we're so motivated to plant churches that's why we're so motivated for you to go out and make disciples it's because the, for the cause of Jesus for the gospel impact that we can have so we want to do this Imagine the impact, imagine the possibility if we took seriously these opportunities that God has placed us right now in this moment to have significant impact for Maple Grove and the surrounding communities and throughout the world. Father, we don't play, we're not here to play games. We believe that at great cost to yourself you sent your son Jesus to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve and he rose again and he will one day return and usher all things into eternity. But now we're called in between that until now, today and that day, Father, to live out the mission of Jesus Christ, to love those who are the least and the lonely and the lost and the left out to the best of our ability So Father, will you help us to search our own souls and our own hearts? I pray for our, our high school. And I pray for the students who love Jesus Christ to rise up and to lead not as the church of tomorrow, but as the church of right now, Father. Will you protect their hearts? Will you protect their unity? And will you use our students, your students, your church in this high school to show healing and love and restoration and reconciliation? And will you help us as a church to support and to lead and to help our community grow for the cause of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.